2022 is coming to an end, um, people are making always making predictions about next year. Redfin came out with a list. I don't know if it was today or within the last week or so about their 2023 housing market predictions uh, for the U.S. I want to go line by line with you and uh, see if you agree or disagree uh, and, and kind of poke some holes. Well, I'm excited to get to poke holes in other people's predictions because I feel like I'm making a lot of predictions lately and people are poking holes in my predictions. So, Well, just don't get them wrong and then they won't have to do that. <laughs> I'm on a good run. I've been on a really good run lately. I want to uh, come, almost want to like John Elway it and go out on top. Okay. Um, Lionel Messi, you should probably retire. I'm just saying, dude, go out on top. You're a legend right now. Go out on top while you can. I didn't know don't, you had a first name. Don't Tom Brady um, and ruin your reputation and um thomas screwing himself right now yeah but just... last year he won the super bowl didn't no, he? no it was two years ago he should have okay. just won the super bowl he moved to a new team <laughs> won the super bowl the very first year he was still married to giselle like go out on top nope he's come back he's got a crappy team he's divorced like he's just killing himself his, his reputation's dying that's right rough now. Yeah, I should have just went out on top while you had the chance, man. So maybe that's my thing. I'm going to stop predicting. I've had a good run for okay, six well, months. Okay, well, we're going we're gonna to call out on these predictions before they happen. So this is your prediction as well. <laughs> I guess so. I do predict <laughs> my predictions on top of their predictions. But yeah. at least I get to use somebody else's predictions to start with. So it's cool. So Kyle, who are you? Yes. <laughs> uh, so I am Kyle Whistle uh, with EXP Realty in San Diego. I'm Brian Kochi, Director of Marketing here at Whistle Realty in San Diego. And the goal of the show is to give you the tools, techniques, and tactics to go out there and crush it in your business. The way that we like to do that is to answer the questions that you have for us. So if you have a question you want to have us answer on a future episode of the podcast, you can always go to thewhistleway.com. You can ask us questions on there, subscribe to the podcast and YouTube channel, join our referral network for everybody leaving California. Um, you can also get dialed in with our private Facebook group and our email newsletter um, geared towards agents where we share a lot of tips and tricks. So you can do all of that and get dialed in with our uh, content creation course, which we have a whole new one coming out really soon. So make sure you sign up on there, um, thewhistleway.com. We'll keep you posted on all that fun stuff. Cool. You ready to dive into this? Let's go. This is a lot. All right. Uh, I no, was looking we try to, to do this whole show in like 30 minutes. I don't know if we're going to do 30 minutes right, today. We'll, we'll see. We'll let's go, see if this is we'll part one. Pretty much rapid fire. So let's go. All right. So prediction number one. This, again, this is from Redfin. Housing market predictions 2023. Uh, prediction number one: Home sales will fall to their lowest levels since 2011, with a slow recovery in the second half of the year. Agree I or disagree? Strongly agree. Okay. Yeah. So I S think that the first half of 23 will be similar to the second half of 22, which was very slow. Um, here in San Diego, we're down almost 50% in the number of closed sales from the same time a year ago. Um, I think we'll continue to see, you know, a significant um, year over year change in the number of closed sales throughout Q1 and Q2. But my belief is that as inflation drops, rates are going to drop. When rates drop, um, sellers start selling again, buyers start buying again, and activity will pick up. And I think the majority of that is going to happen. You know, the activity is going to start happening in Q2, but the sales won't be reflected until Q3. Therefore, I think that they're very accurate that the second half um, will pick back up. Okay, cool. I think it's going to, but what I would disagree with is this says with a slow recovery in the second half, I think it's going to be a faster recovery than a lot of people think. 
the reason for that is values are down significantly, but inventory is still historically very, very low. And I don't think people are paying enough attention to that. And I can just go off San Diego data in 2008, when this whole thing crashed, when we were bottoming out, there was 13.3 months of inventory in a balanced market. We run about four months of inventory here. We are currently sitting at 1.6 months of inventory. So as buyers start to get back in the game, we're coming in, starting out with extremely low inventory. It's not like we're trying to recover like 2008, where we had 13 months of inventory that had to get gobbled up to get back to a, a four month supply. We're starting out at less than half of that four month number. So I think as the buyers get back in the game, um, I think it recovers a lot faster than a lot of people think. Okay. Well, that leads into prediction too. By the way, I was looking at this. I'm really interested about prediction number 12. This is opposite of what I've heard other people say. Um, so I'm interested to see what your thoughts are there. Yeah. Uh, I think that's going to be fairly controversial. That's Brian making sure you stay until number 12. It's just, you know. Come on. Yes. But also, <laughs> I also think that's really interesting. It is, cool. it is a flip. Yeah. Um, number two, prediction number two from Redfin. Uh, mortgage rates will decline ending the year below 6%, ending 2023 below 6%. I think they're ending 2022 below 6%. So I think that's a stupid prediction. Um, I think that we'll be below 5% very likely by the end of 2023. What a lot of people are looking at, they're looking at like the federal funds rate and they think like that's what drives mortgage rates. It's not, it's inflation drives mortgage rates, but inflation also drives the federal funds rate. So people aren't hundred percent wrong, but they're, they're correlated, they're but not, that, not getting, causation. They're not getting back to the root cause. The root cause is inflation. The reason the federal funds rate has gone up as much as it has is because inflation went up too fast. So therefore, the Fed had to react to inflation. Um, and then the rates are reacting to all of that. So um, I think that the inflation number is going to drop a ton, especially over the next uh, six months. We're about to start. We've been averaging about 0.2% uh, inflation month over month for the last five months. I think we had like a, a zero, a 0.4 uh, 0.4 and 0.2 and like a zero or 1.1, something like that. Like it's basically averaged 0.2% month over month change for the last five months. That's actually exactly what the fed wants. They want to get us to inflation. That's between two and 3%. So if we've just had five 0. months, 2%. no two year. So what they do, okay, the way they come okay. up with the total number is they add up the 12 months worth of change. Gotcha. So if we can run at 0.2% average for an entire year, that will put us at 2.4% inflation, which is right around, they say they want to be at two, but I think they're comfortable being a little bit above two. So if we can continue to average 0.2% inflation for the next seven months, we're literally right where they want us to be or very, very close to it. So the closer we get to 2% inflation, rates are going to fall um, substantially. And the biggest thing with inflation is uh, a huge chunk of the overall CPI number is what's called owner equivalent rent. Owner's equivalent rent is the stupidest metric ever. They basically go to you, Brian, who own a home and ask you, how much do you think your home would rent for? Why the hell should you even know that? Like <laughs> you are so unqualified to answer that mm -hmm. question. It's stupid, but that is literally a, about a third of the overall CPI number. Well, rents were going bonkers in 2020 and 2021, but they've leveled off in the last six months. But that data is a six month delayed piece of data. The updated 
owner equivalent rent is going to come out. I believe it's either January or February. I don't remember off the top of my head, but once that comes out, that's going to drag inflation down even more because literally the one third metric of the whole thing is going to drop substantially when that gets caught up in um, January or February. So I think inflation falls even further. So I'm very, very optimistic on inflation falling a ton. I think, um, you know, we sit here a year from now, inflation's probably going to be uh, I don't think we're going to continue at point two for seven more months, but I think we're probably going to be in the, the three to 4% range on inflation, maybe, you know, a little bit above four, but I think we're going to be in a much, much better place 12 months from now when we talk about headline CPI. Good. And then when we do that rates come down. So I think you'll see rates break through 5% in 2023 because they're already breaking through 6% in 2022. Cool. Um, prediction number three, home prices will post their first year over year decline in a decade but the U.S. will avoid a wave of foreclosures. So I think that's wrong. Um, I Ooh. think... Disagree. Yeah, strongly disagree. disagree or disagree? Um, disagree. Okay. I don't know strongly. Now, this is going to vary a lot. I was talking to my friend who's in Memphis, Tennessee, and their market hasn't moved a whole lot. Our market here in San Diego is down about 12% since April. So this is going to change substantially depending on the market that you're in. If you're in a market that uh, you know, goes up very fast. It also comes down very fast. We're seeing that right now. Um, you know, Memphis didn't see a run up in prices like we saw. Um, they're also not going to see a fall down in prices like we're seeing. So, um, I'm just going to go based off San Diego because that's, that's the data that I have, but I believe that overall that it'll be similar to the rest of the market. Um, my personal belief is Q1 will continue going down because rates are still high. Um, but as the rates start to regulate, I think by Q2, we start to flatten out. By Q3, we start to come up. And I think we'll see a really good Q4 because there's going to be a lot of pent up demand, a lot of people who didn't buy in this you know, Q3, Q4 this year and Q1 of next year. They're all going to have to buy eventually. And I think the, the back half of 23 is going to be really solid. So by the time 23 is over, I think that we'll see somewhere between 0 and 5%. So I don't think it's going to be high, but I, I think we're going to be between 0 and 5%. Okay. Now, but the second part I think you would agree with, right? Well, the U.S. will avoid a wave of foreclosures. There's yeah. going to be more than there has been. Yes. Um, but we're not seeing it 2008, 2009 because home prices have increased so much. People have equity. Is that correct? Multiple. Yeah, there's, I, I agree there will not be a wave of foreclosures, but there will be foreclosures, correct. right? I mean, think about somebody who bought here in San Diego in April, which was when we peaked. The median home price was $1 million. Now the median home price is high 800s. If a life event happens and that person has to sell today and they put little to no money down, they are upside down right now. So yep. there are scenarios where you will see it. Um, but the majority of people are sitting on mountains of equity right now to where if they do have a life event happen, they're going to be in a scenario where they'll simply sell and put a ton of cash in the bank. The other... Um, the What else was I going to say on this? So that that's part of it. Two, the banks don't want to foreclose on anybody. Um, you know, I did a, I literally got into this market in 2008, like in the middle of, of all the craziness. 
And, you know, the banks started to realize, like, we don't actually want to foreclose on these people. It kind of sucks, huh? It's expensive as could be. Um, then they're, you know, we're in California. They're getting stuck with tenants, which nobody wants to get stuck with a, a, a non-cooperative tenant here in California. Um, so I think it, it's just not going to be a huge amount of them. And, again, I think values are going to level off and, and probably start to come back. Um, so the banks will work out, you know, agreements with each other if they need to do forbearance or things like they did in COVID just to help people get through a tough time, they will. And then the last part, what I was going to go to is the job situation is still phenomenal. There's one point, depending on which data point, I think it's about 1.7 or 1.8 jobs per unemployed person right now. <laughs> There's literally a um, shortage of supply of people. of people right now. Right? It's not like everybody and their, you know, their mom is getting fired from jobs like they were years ago. There's, it's not like every company is laying mass amounts of people off. There's still not enough people for all the jobs that are out there. So even if somebody did lose their job, there's another job waiting for them, you know, there's shortly. Two jobs. Yeah. One, <laughs> there's 1.7 or 1.8 jobs <laughs> waiting for them. So because of the job climate as well, I just don't think we're going to be in that same scenario. Now there's other life events that could happen that could force, you know, somebody to, to need to sell and, and that'll be what it is. All right. So prediction number three, you disagree with. Correct. Prediction number four, Midwest and Northeast will hold up best as overall market cools. Are you qualified to speak on this? Yeah. Okay. I, I agree on the Midwest. I think that they're just super stable and they're, um, you know, a lot of people that are in the coastal markets tend to move inward when prices go up and things become unaffordable, people go to where things are more affordable. I mean, one of my best friends moved to Tulsa, Oklahoma. He's like, I could barely afford a condo here in San Diego. And now I have a huge house and on an acre in Tulsa and he's as happy as could be out there. He's probably Good. sweating his butt off, but he's very happy. <laughs> um, <laughs> but the Northeast, I'm not, I don't necessarily feel the same. I think that there's a, a lot of people understand lifestyle. I feel like through COVID, people have come to appreciate lifestyle a lot more than they did previously, um, where people want to be able to be outside and they want to experience um, life a little bit more. I mean, my whole family is in Buffalo, New York, and the football game this past week, like the photos, like you literally went to the football game and you damn there had to bring a shovel to shovel your seat out. Like, well, I think you to did. To get to your seat. Like they didn't clear them out. You had to get there with your hands and dig your own seat out. Like it was, it was so buried in snow. Um, I think that there's a lot of people who realize they don't want to live in the snow like that for the rest of their lives and will not want to be there, especially New York, obviously has seen a lot of people leave similar to California on the West coast. So maybe I'm thinking too much of New York, but I think overall people want a lifestyle with a little bit warmer weather. And so I would disagree on the Northeast, but I would agree on the Midwest. All right. Uh, prediction number five. This one is interesting. I'm curious on your thoughts here. Prediction number five, rents will fall and many Gen Zers and young millennials will continue renting indefinitely. I agree. And Ooh. we've actually seen rents have flattened out. And we've actually seen even some declines in some markets. So it's already starting. Um, why that is, it's it's interesting because there's so many less people buying. Theoretically, you have more people renting. Um, but that's not, they've been building so much rental inventory. A lot of builders have shifted away from building houses for sale in a market like this and shifted toward building uh, apartments for rent. So the rental supply is increasing a lot which I think is helping to keep rents under control. So I agree. I think rents will be flat to, you know, negative a little bit. 
Um, so I, I agree with that. I think Gen Zers, they're still maybe a little bit too young to buy, but I remember 10 years ago having this conversation and people were saying the same thing about millennials. Millennials are never going to buy homes and now they're the largest buyers of homes there are. So I think with them, it's not a no, it's a not yet. Now, will you see, do you think that you will see, this is rents in general, but do you think you'll see landlords decreasing their rents on their properties? while tenants are in uh while tenants are in no because people have a tendency to not want change you would be the prime example i don't know what of you're it. talking about that <laughs> your personality profile the thought of moving i mean for i don't God. think just you anybody the thought moving. of moving is just overwhelming so even if you know the they could go rent something similar for less money unless it's a big enough change i don't think you're going to see people move um out of their rentals so i don't think landlords have to decrease the rent but i think you'll see it flatten out a lot more and then i think some of the people who were pushing the people that were pushing the rents up some of these i mean we have these buildings here in san diego now where they've got you know tanning salons inside of them and movie theaters and all kinds of pickleball indoor pickleball courts and like spas and all this crazy crap here like i think those guys who have been pushing the rents up those are the ones who are where you'll see the rents fall well, that makes the, sense. the people who had the premium product that were you know, the, the Ritz Carlton of rentals, so to speak, I think they're the ones who will feel the drop in rents. I think they're not gonna be able to push it as much as they were. That makes sense. All right, so number five, you agree with. Prediction number six. Got ahead of myself, yes. Prediction number six, <laughs> builders will focus on multifamily, yes. Uh, because they're struggling to sell their um, their developments, their housing developments. So they're still gonna continue to build. They'll just build what makes the most sense in this market. That was a quick one. Prediction Although I'm six. trying to build right now. I'm getting into the building game. Um, we just bought a, or closing this week on it, but it's two houses in um, a high, what would I call this area? It's, it's the hood currently, but it's that's where I like to buy. I <laughs> like to coming? buy in the hood. Yeah. Gentrifying is the I don't think that's a term. great term. It's a weird word, <laughs> yeah. um, but an up and coming area. So I'm buying two houses on two separate lots, but when combined together, it equals, I don't know, it's like 11,000 something square feet of lot size. And here in San Diego, we have the ability to now build because of the location um, on a major uh, thoroughfare, we're able to build six and a half times the lot size in building size. So you take 11,000 square feet times 6.5, and that's how much the size of the building we can build on this lot that currently has two houses. For those that are mathematically challenged, that's almost 70,000 square feet of building where you have two houses right now. And so that's vertical, yes? Yes. Okay. I don't know how you would do six and a half times the lot size. That doesn't, it's on stilts and it's just goes over their houses. I don't know. So I'm, I am personally getting into the game, but I understand, right? I'm going to, the, the thing with building that's unique is that, right, this thing, it's going to take us about, let's call it two years to go through the entitlement process to basically convert this from being two single family lots to being able to build this building to get it approved to build, then you're gonna have that build time, which is another 18 to 24 months to build. So this is like something you go into it today knowing it's not gonna be ready for four years from now. Yeah, jeez. It's crazy, but that's what you have to do as a builder. But I'm getting in the game, I'm ready, let's go. All right, let's go. Let's build a okay, ton so of apartments. <laughs> prediction number six, you agree. Yes. Prediction number seven, investor activity will bottom out in the spring, then rebound. 
I definitely agree. We've seen a ton of the investors here in San Diego, uh, more specifically the flippers, get out of the game. A lot of them just got crushed. I watched this happen. This is my second full cycle now. I watched this happen last time and I saw it setting up again this time where what happens with people is they start flipping one home at a time because that's all the money they have. Then they get enough money, they're flipping two at a time, three at a time. Before you know it, they're flipping 20 properties at any given time. And when the market, the bottom gets pulled out from under you like it did earlier this year, now you get caught within uh, financial terms, they say get caught holding the bag. And in this case, the bag is holding 20 properties that are worth nowhere near what you thought they were going to be worth when they're done. Um, and so there's a lot of flippers right now that are um, just trying to get out from underneath a lot of these properties. So um, totally agree with that. Um, and I love that now I'm getting into the flipping game while everybody's getting out. Yeah. So if, if someone's watching this right now and they are in the process of buying a flip, would you say adjust your, your margin that you need? Would you say just be more aggressive with your offers? Okay. So we're seeing, you know, MLS deals that were able to offer 20 plus percent below what they're listed at and where you have sellers entertaining offers at that level. So we're just being much more aggressive where, you know, we're trying to buy deals at 60, 65% of ARV where months ago people were paying 75, 80% of ARV. So we're just, you know, offering a lot lower. So there's mm -hmm. always going to be money to be made in flips, but the people who got burned are the ones who are paying 75 or 80% of ARV right before the market shifted. And now they're screwed. Yeah. Um, so you, there's always going to be flips available. You just got to offer the right price because honestly, the money is made on the purchase, not on the sale. And I think people purchased at too high of numbers, so they already shot themselves in the foot long before the sale occurs. Okay. So number seven, you strongly agree. Prediction number eight, Gen Zers will seek jobs and apartments in relatively affordable mid-tier cities, which you kind of talked about this earlier, moving away from the coast, especially now with work from home type stuff is I think where they're going with it. Yeah, I, I agree with that. I think people will go where it's less expensive because as you're younger, you don't want a lot of people don't want to work as hard, not saying everybody, but there's, you know, they said this about millennials, oh, they don't want to work. And now they're working and they're all making a ton of money. And the same thing I think is said about Gen Zers. Oh, these guys are never going to work hard. And here they are making tons of, uh, they're going to start making tons of money, but I think they realize they'd rather like, I think lifestyles becoming more important. We talked about it with the Northeast, but I think lifestyles becoming more important to people where they're less concerned about how much money they make and more the lifestyle they get to live. And so I agree. I think people will move to lesser expensive areas, um, so they can live the lifestyle they want and not have to work as hard. But then as they get older, they'll realize like, I don't want to live in Tulsa, Oklahoma, I want to live in, you know, a much nicer place where I don't have tornadoes and heat and humidity like crazy. And then they'll move to other areas. Yeah. And the other thing is like pre COVID, it was, you know, Hey, I need to work from home today. Absolutely not. It's impossible. Now there's still companies that are saying we're never opening back up. You're all working from home. So I think the lifestyle, the, the mindset of, of businesses of like, it's impossible to work from home now, please work from home. So that way we don't have to pay rent and utilities and all that sort of stuff. Totally. Um, I think that helps it as well. Cool. So you agree on number eight. We've got a few more. Again, number 12. I'm excited to get to. Uh, prediction number nine. Migration from one part of the country to another will ease from the pandemic boom. Yeah, I mean, that's just logical. I don't think you can ever get back to that level before. I think people were irrational and 
there was a there's a thing in investing called irrational exuberance and i think that's what we saw with people relocating all over the place um but i think some of those those areas where everybody moved to you're seeing it in boise and Coeur d'Alene and Vegas and Phoenix and Austin and a lot of these markets where people, you know, move to for political reasons more than anything. I think that those markets are really, really struggling. There was, there was a lot of artificial inflation. Um, I think people are, are not doing that nearly as much. Um, and I think things have just settled down. So that's, that's just an easy, logical thing. Cool. Agree. Uh, prediction number 10, rising disaster insurance costs will make extremely climate risky homes even more expensive more expensive and less desirable. I mean, I've, I've got friends in Florida that just got hit with the hurricanes and just talking to them about the hell they're having to deal with, with the insurance companies to file claims and actually get paid. Like their houses are destroyed. And as much as they want to go hire contractors to come in there and fix them, they can't because then the insurance company can claim, well, you, you, you screwed it up. You caused damage. It's not as bad as you said it was. So they're just having to sit on these heat piles of you know destroyed houses and they can't rebuild them until the insurance company you know says it's time and i think that as a result that's just going to make it a lot less desirable um for people to move to areas like that where that's a potential risk and the cost of insurance just keeps going up and up and up if you're you know in in one of these hurricane prone areas i I, i'm shocked people still want to go to these areas i know that you know i've talked to people in florida and they're like it's the same as you guys are with uh earthquakes in california like I think the most I've ever seen in an earthquake is like a cup fall off a table in my life. But there have been earthquakes like what happened in San Francisco and L.A. And, it's, you know, some of these other places where there is some severe damage. But like that's such a fluky thing. But the media makes it appear like, oh, well, that's what happens when there's earthquakes. And maybe it's the same thing with hurricanes. Like, I don't know. But the media does a hell of a job scaring me out of wanting to move to Florida. <laughs> <laughs> uh, OK, so you agree. Yes. Uh, prediction number 11. I'm curious. <laughs> This title didn't have much information, so I had to read more of it. More cities will follow Minneapolis's YIMBY example. Do you know what that means? Nope. Uh, to curb housing expenses. Why don't you throw a guess? And it's it's a acronym. Acronym. That's right. Your Y-I- income, my business, something. Um, have you ever heard of, of not in my backyard? NIMBY that you're not going to like build in my backyard kind of yeah thing? Th- there's a phrase called not in my backyard basically like okay. don't do it in my area this is pr- says stands for yes in my backyard what they did is uh, they eliminated single family only zoning okay so no longer in Minneapolis can you get a get something zoned for only single family it's for condos townhouses multifamily to help alleviate uh, the to kind of level out the supply and demand. So it's yes in my backyard. Yes in my backyard. Okay. I mean, they're doing that here in San Diego to a certain extent. So, But they've eliminated um, single family. Like you can't get it zoned for single family. Yeah. I I don't know if people will do that extreme. Um, I think that not to be political, but I think that in uh, blue cities and states, you'll probably see more of that. And you'll probably see very little of that in red cities and states. Um, just seems to be a political thing that there's different opinions on how to, to curb the, the problems that we have with housing. And um, <laughs> San Diego is a very blue city. So um, we're, we're definitely seeing more of this. Like, I mean, we just talked about we're taking two houses and able to build almost 70,000 square feet on it. We've got properties here in San Diego where you can buy a single family house and throw five, you know, 
they can call them ADUs, accessory dwelling units in the backyard. Like, um, so we're seeing it here in San Diego. And, and I think that whether people go as ex extreme as Minneapolis or not, I think that people will go in that direction. Yeah. And hopefully it'll make it, they'll make it easier to rezone it for multifamily. So instead of two years, it's like 18 months. Yeah, there was an article about in the San Diego Union Tribune, our newspaper here, about newspaper. how the city is just making it so damn difficult to build in San Diego. It takes so damn long. Their systems are so antiquated. Their staff is underpaid. Um, and it's just totally slowing the recovery down. But that's good for real estate because if you can't build, supply can't catch up Correct. to the demand and prices continue to go up. So. All right, finally. Yeah. Finally, number 12. Your teaser. My number 12. All right, that's all we have. I'm just kidding. <laughs> uh, prediction number 12. <laughs> Buyer's agent's commission will rise slightly as fewer agents broker fewer deals at lower prices. I definitely agree. Mm. I think that, um, you know, we got to a point through the, the COVID boom that we could could have offered 1% commission and people would have brought their buyers to the table. Like at a certain point as a buyer's agent, you were just happy to get your client into a property. Like you didn't even care how much money you made. You just wanted to get them in a house, um, which is what your job should be, right? You shouldn't focus on what the commission is. You should just focus on getting your client into a house. Um, but people were less concerned with that given the market. But I think now you're seeing agents, you know, raising their commission up to encourage their fellow agents to, um, you know, push one property over another because right there, the rules and ethics and everything say you're going to do what's best for your client no matter what. But let's just be real. There are agents out there. Um, you know, not, not, not you, you know. or anybody, you know, not me or anybody I know, well, but there's agents you know. out there. Uh, <laughs> there are agents out there that if there's two houses in a neighborhood that are similar and one pays more than the other, you know, there's agents who are going to, uh, push, I won't use the, the bad S word that will push their clients, you know, oh. toward one, the one that pays them more versus the one that pays them less. Um, it's just an inevitable thing. Um, you know, if you're searching around too, I've, I've seen this before and I've done this. I've even put properties up and like, Hey, if you, we go pending by the end of the month, your commission is, you know, $5,000 more. Like there's oh, no yeah, rule that says in like two days. <laughs> yeah. Like there's no rule that says I can't do that as a listing agent. And whether, a buyer's agent chooses to push their client toward the one they get make more money on. That's up to them, you know, in their practice. But that strategy definitely works. That wasn't as controversial as I thought. I was. I've heard from people of the fear of buyer buyers agent commissions going away entirely. Yeah, there's all this talk about it. I mean, that's why I thought it was more our controversial. Association it's of Realtors has this form that they've talked about, like if this thing goes through, that. Literally every time you show a client property, they have to sign a form of like each property you show them and how much commission you're going to get paid on it. Like there's a form that exists for this. I don't know if it's going to go through. I'm, I try not to stress myself out over things until they're a reality. But like, could you imagine that every time you go show houses, your client's got to sign a form of here's the five houses we're looking at and here's how much money I make off of each one. Like Ugh. that's awful. That's icky. Yeah. That's a really weird thing. So. Um, but I, I just don't know that that's going to go through. But if it does, we'll adapt and yeah. So you only disagreed with one and a half of these. Redfin's smart people, man. I follow Redfin a lot. I have a lot of respect for them and what they do. So it doesn't surprise me that we're in alignment on most of this stuff. Um, I'm going to also make sure we give credit to, I, I didn't print out his name, the author of this article. We just keep saying Redfin. Um, but now that we did so well, I want to give him props. Um, I didn't want to put him on blast if otherwise. Um, no, I think they're, they're Kyle, before we go into our whistle widget of the week, 
Um, I've got, uh, I'll share my good one. I've, I have a dumb one and I've got a good one. You're I'll share it. my okay. good one before we <laughs> well, do we, that. Before we do, if you're enjoying the show today, if you're listening on a podcast platform, if you could hook us up with a review when you're done with this today, it means the world to us. The reviews go a really, really long way in the podcast world. So if you could take five minutes to write a quick review, uh, it is sincerely appreciated. And if you are uh, watching on YouTube, hit that thumbs up button, let YouTube know you're enjoying the show. If you have some questions, throw them in the comment section. And if you want more of our content on YouTube, hit the subscribe button and the little notification bell and YouTube will do the rest. Um, and again, if you want to just stay connected, go to thewhistleway.com. Lots of good ways to connect on there. And so... The author of this is Taylor Marr, M-A-R-R. Yeah, I think Taylor Marr is a smart dude. Yeah. He's got it together. Good on you, Taylor. There good you job. Go. Thank you. <laughs> cool. Uh, before we wrap the show, we want to dive into what we call the whistle widget of the week. This is something we utilize in our business. It saves us time, makes us more money, or just helps us have more fun. So what do you got for us, Brian? So as... Even we're going through COVID, there are times with kids at home that I need to work from home, times on the weekends, times on the evenings, um, and I need to work from home, and using my laptop is a bit of a struggle. When we were completely working from home, I brought my desktop home, I brought my big monitor, I brought everything, but I don't have the space for that at my house. I don't have an office, I don't have um, a cubby that I can do that, so I... Um, took over the dining room table, which my family was not stoked with. Um, and so they have this thing that I've seen on TikTok over and over and over again. Finally, I decided, hey, this is what I want. Um, it's the, I don't know how to spell it. <laughs> I don't know how to pronounce it. I think it's the Zybeck, the X-E-B-E-C, the Tri-Screen 2. And what it is is basically it clamps onto the back of your laptop screen and gives you two kind of uh, small iPad-esque uh, monitors. So I set it up. So I had on my main screen, my, what I'm normally working with, I was able to put Slack on one screen. And what I really loved is I was able to use like Google docs or my spreadsheet. So when I'm going from one spreadsheet to the other, I didn't have to tab back and forth or anything like that. Um, so it's a Zybeck tri screen two. Um, haven't used it in practice yet. Haven't needed to, but been really, really excited about this. And, uh, it was a little early Christmas present. So, um, I think it's, Normally 500 bucks. I think it's on sale for 450, but uh, I wouldn't recommend it if you were using that to edit proper or edit photos or video on. The color's not quite right. Um, But for Slack, for Google Docs, for something else to reference, I'm really liking it. Cool. Um, I will tie into that one because I had a similar desire to do that, and so I found an option. One of the don't say you got, I don't want to know you got a better one. One of the smart guys in our <laughs> office told us about an option. He's like, "Do you have any iPads at your house?" "Yes, I have a couple extra ones." He's like, "Cool, buy this little piece, um, and it just kind of hooks onto the top of your ta- of your um, like your whatever your laptop is that you're using, and then it allows you to attach." iPads as kind of wings onto your laptop, similar to how that works. Um, and then you use an app called duet and now it turns your, um, iPad into an extension monitor, which is kind of cool. So it's a way to accomplish that. If you happen to have iPads laying around your house, you can turn your iPads into a secondary monitor for your laptop and you can just drag and drop things and bounce them between two screens and it works out really cool. So the app that allows you to do that is called duet. That I so that's for Mac to iPad, but they also have a PC to iPad option too. I tried that. I didn't like how mine set up because it was like on the table and but 
Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. I'll find uh, I think the brand is 910 that makes this little attachment that clamps your monitor to your iPad nice. so that it hangs. Um, so I think I spelled out like the, the word nine and then the, the number 10, I think is what it is. If I remember correctly, that makes the attachment to connect the iPad to the monitor. Sweet. So two different ways to accomplish the same thing. Sounds great. Awesome. Well, I hope you guys got a lot of value out of the show today. Again, stay connected with us at thewhistleway.com. I'm Kyle Whistle with eXp Realty in San Diego. I'm Brian Kochi. We'll see you next week. Later.